Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 in Capitol. We're in that great, big, beautiful town bank building. We are also in the village of Whitefish Bay, and there we're in the Equitable Bank building. That's right across the street from Winkies. And isn't it nice to talk about being in Florida right now, Bonita Springs, with all the snow that we've been having? And we certainly would welcome you to stop in at any one of our our locations. My guest today is Terry Pavlik, and Terry has been on our my radio show since 2005, so that's a, a really long time, and it's a lot of different markets and a lot of different, um, even things happening, you know, when we look at the world, what's, what's going on. It's really had um, some major impacts, and we've talked about that as time has gone on, and right now, Terry, I'm looking at just some information that says that this has been the 2018 was the worst year for stocks in a decade. Yes. And uh, you and I talked about it not too long at a, at a conference that you did for us, for our advisors. And I said, wow, Terry, this is really great information for you to share with our listeners. And so you have your office right now in Delafield. I and do. Um, just to give everybody a little background, Terry and I have been friends. And as I said, he's been on the air since 2005, helping me to better understand bonds and how to integrate them into our portfolios. Um, how to interpret the bonds as in relationship to the market so that we look at bonds in our clients' portfolio as sort of being the foundation and always um, really interested in the income and the safety in our portfolios. Right. And so, Terry, why don't we just start out by talking about what made it the worst year for stocks yeah. in a decade? Well, thank you for having me on your show again. Um, I can't believe it's been 14 years <laughs> since we started doing this. Uh, it's quite amazing. Uh, yes, the worst year for stocks in a decade. I, I sort of throw some of these in because if you watch CNBC or any of the business news programs, you know, it seems like... Um, They've never seen a down market before or even a pullback, and they're quick to tout the most sensational headline that they can come up with. So, you know, in fact, it was the worst year for stocks since 2008. Um, stocks were down a little bit this um, in, in 2018, and uh, we had had a couple of flat years in the um, in the last 10 years, but most most of the time it's been positive. But to um, to draw the comparison, in, in 2008, stocks were down 40 percent. And what were they down single digits this year? So, yeah, technically the worst um, year in a decade, but not too bad. Not really uh, considering how many good years we've had in a row. Uh, they also, the the, uh, the media also said, it was quick to point out it was the worst fourth quarter since 1931. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they have to point out that that was in the throes of the Great Depression, <laughs> you know, just to scare us all a little bit more. And uh, and I guess that's true too. But I mean, you're kind of cherry picking the worst fourth quarter. You know, never mind the third quarter, the second quarter, the first quarter. Just just let's just focus on the fourth quarter. And uh, it wasn't a good quarter. That's true. 
stocks came down quite a bit. Um, small stocks did worse than large stocks. Uh, the pundits were quick to uh, to talk about the fact that the you know part of the reason that stocks pulled back in the fourth quarter was the concern over the Chinese trade situation, which I guess still is a little bit unresolved. And uh, I would I would have expected that if it really was due to that then the small stocks should have done better because small stocks don't have any exposure to Chinese trade. They're too small. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that wasn't the case. So that kind of makes me think that maybe some of the pullback wasn't necessarily due to trade issues, due to something else, which uh, we can talk about. But um, it was a bad quarter, and now we are you know, kind of halfway through the first quarter, and we've recovered um, probably two-thirds of the loss. So... There you go. That's a good argument for not jumping in and out of the market all the time. Market timing is very difficult. And if you hang around a little while, you'll see the recovery. So that's what uh, investors have experienced to have hung around um, since the terrible fourth quarter that the pundits were telling us all about just a few weeks ago. Well, you know, Terry, when you start to think about that fourth quarter, you and I have said this, how quickly people forget the worst of the worst and the best of the best. Yeah. They kind of get pulled into whatever whatever the headlines are out there. And so we have a lot of clients that have asked questions say, "Wow, you know, this is really terrible and we we're down, you know, 8% or 4%." And when you look at the whole picture, it's minimal right from the last 10 years, but why, you know, it seems so easy to say why do they beat up these quarters and why do they put this out there because they know that it is just going to um mix up people's heads i mean yeah why you mean the, the media the media i mean why well, do they why do they put this out there in fear i mean we we can easily say well it sells papers and yeah exactly you know, and, and yeah. so much of the stuff <laughs> if, if you think about you know my marketing division comes to me in january for my March, my April newsletter. <laughs> now, yeah. that's great because a lot of the things in that newsletter um, aren't tied to the moment. And yeah. you always put something in there that's given us a recap of where we are. But why does the media even want to cause this kind of um, seesaw or, you know, we always say the a roller coaster. And I always come back and say nobody jumps off of a roller coaster when it's moving. <laughs> right. But I agree. You know, why do this? Because it doesn't seem to have any positive effect. Yeah, and fundamentally, I think the media is a, it is, um, there is a huge element of selling newspapers. It's attracting eyeballs these days to the, you know, what's on TV or on your uh, screen on your computer or on your phone. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And they're not advisors. You know, these are not people who are really getting paid to offer uh, fiduciary type advice to their clients. I, I don't. Ha- ne- they don't necessarily have the client's long term interest in mind when they're making decisions or recommendations. It's it's um, way more sensational than that. <laughs> so, I think that's the problem with the media. And uh, it sounds crazy to advise clients to pay less attention, <laughs> but in some respects, if that's the quality of the information they're getting, it's really uh, not great information. It's um, probably worthwhile to pay a little less attention. Well, if you try, and and it's very difficult to identify the clients who really get upset with this. For me, my experience is is that they're 
typically the ones that don't fully understand what they own, and they don't have a real plan as to what they expect to happen and what is realistic and what isn't realistic. Right, right. And, um, and I think that it's very hard for people to understand that because they get their statement, and typically on the very page, the first page is what's happened in the last 30 days. Yeah, or the last quarter. Or the last case. quarter. Yep, and it wasn't great. Yeah. But that's part that's if you have money in the stock market, I mean that money is kind of at risk, right? And you're going to get the better returns, highest returns, but it's going to take time. And so you're going to go through these little bumps like you mentioned earlier the roller coaster. There are ups and downs in the stock market and all of all that statement told you in the last quarter was that we just went through one of the downs. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean you jump off as you as you point out. You probably hang on for the next ride up and sure enough just as quickly as you think it's time to jump off, we've had a really good six yes. weeks. <laughs> and, and Terry, you and I have always said it only happens if you know what you own and your own quality that will come back. Right. If you have a portfolio full of things that potentially could blow up, they yeah. may not come back. They do. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. the, the whole thing is is understanding what you actually own. I think, Terry, we'll take a, a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about the recession. Oh, yeah. Okay. That everybody's been That's um, great. pushing out there, too. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. My guest today is Terry Pavlik. He is the president of Pavlik Investment Advisors which is right here in Delafield. Terry also is our bond manager for our company and for all of our clients, our individual bonds. And Terry is uh, the bond guru for us here, (laughs) uh, helping us understand. And the reason I say that is, you know, I started out as a traditional broker long, long time ago. And um, I always, just in my mind, you know, thought, bonds are safe and and my clients would come in and they'd want bonds and started to dig deeper and and to look at the different types of bonds and realizing that bonds are just as complicated as stocks Mm -hmm. and that you know you think that they're so simple because so many people their first connection with bonds are cds and and they so they kind of get that idea in their head of what a bond is in relationship to a cd and then, of course, we've had um, some bad bond years. We with, have, you yes. Know, and then people get a little bit more of an idea that there's high quality and low quality and junk bonds and corporate bonds and that there is a lot of volatility in the bond market. And people think, well, bonds are safe. I don't ever have to worry about volatility or losing money, which isn't, which isn't true at all. And so for us, with our bond portfolios and for our clients, we want our clients to really understand why they own bonds in their portfolio. We want them to really understand how it all works. And that just, again, brings up the recession and inflation and all of the different things, again, that they're hearing out in the public. And then it's like, well, how does this affect me? Well, it could, uh, I guess. It depends on how you react to it, Mm -hmm. really. Um, One of the things that, uh, that we were talking about you mentioned just briefly recession that was another one of these things that the that the media was uh all um hair on fire about at the (laughs) end of the year and there's still talk about it that uh you know in fact this 
stock market sell-off and what happened with bonds in the fourth quarter meant that a recession was coming. And so uh, I um, look at that and <laughs> I think, well, uh, two things. First of all, is that right, which mm-hmm. is what I'll talk about here in a minute. And then, okay, if it, if it is, what do we do about it? Um, but uh, I use three models to look at to try to see if a recession's coming because if a recession is coming or we're in one, you would expect bond yields to fall and you would expect the stock market to fall. So um, the Fed would change its decision-making and so on. So it's good to know if that's coming because that's kind of a, an inflection point in how I would manage the bond portfolios. Some I would do some things differently. And so um, the three models that I use to look at whether a recession is imminent um, or all come from other sources. There's things I've followed for quite a while. And the first one is just tied to new home sales. And the way that this first model works is if um, the year over year, if the one-year change in new home sales um, gets below a minus 20%, so if it, the year over year change in home sales is falling by more than 20%, it almost always predicts a recession, or it almost always happens before a recession. And uh, this has been a good indicator in six of the last seven recessions. And it gives you a couple of months lead time. And um, right now we're not there. We're close, but we don't have a signal from that particular model. The um, the other two models that I look at come from the St. Louis Federal Reserve. And they um, they put out a paper on these just last summer. But these models have been around for a long time. And the second one's tied to the unemployment rate. And this makes sense. Um, the model says basically when the unemployment rate bottoms, nine months later you have a recession. And so when unemployment starts going up, it makes sense that the economy would be weakening and um, so on. Well, that unemployment, if you, <laughs> the media, <laughs> yes. com- coming back to the media, they're happy to tell us that unemployment is at a 50-year low right now. So we don't really have a bottom there. So again, I would say no indicator that there's a recession coming. And that makes complete sense to mm-hmm. me. When everybody's working, how do you possibly have a recession? Then the, the final um, the final model is a little more technical. It looks at treasury yields, bond yields, and it compares the um, a, a ten, the yield on a ten year treasury, one that matures in ten years, to one that matures in three months, and compares them. And um, that's one that the media has been talking about too. That we have an inverted yield curve, and we don't really quite have an inverted yield curve yes, yet. Um, norm in the normal situation. Yields on longer-term bonds are higher than yields on shorter-term bonds. And when that situation reverses itself, it also usually predicts a recession with great accuracy. You get a 10-month lead time. And there again, that third model is not, it's close, but it's not quite predicting a recession yet, and there's room for things to change. So I would say that all of this talk about there being a recession is way premature. (laughs) There's probably not going to be a recession this year. Might there be next year? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. But it surely doesn't seem like it. And what about inflation? Well, inflation, um, the, the reason that the Federal Reserve had been raising interest rates, they've raised them nine times since they've started to raise interest rates a couple of years ago, including four times in uh, 2018. And they kept talking about, we see you know, inflation. Because when everybody's working, pretty soon they're going to have to raise wages, and that's inflationary and all this other stuff. Okay. I mean, some of that makes sense. But in fact, what's happened with inflation in the last six months is it's gone down. It got up to about 3%. And now it's like Mm 1.8 is the inflation rate. So it's trending lower. 
And some of that's because oil prices have come down and for other reasons. But um, there's really no inflation to speak of uh, in the economy right now. 1.8%, I don't think, is much inflation. The historical average is around three and a quarter. So just to put some context on it, you know, we're half of what we would have in a long-term historical average. So I don't think inflation's a problem, and um, and that is another reason why the Fed doesn't have to raise interest rates much further than they have. Uh, and I, th- I think that they probably won't. <laughs> uh, chairman Powell, uh, who's the new chairman of the Fed, uh, about a month ago had a, a press conference or an interview where he basically said as much, that he's not planning to raise interest rates until the data tells him to. <laughs> <laughs> which means he'd have to see some indication of inflation before he did anything. You know, Terry, when we talk about, when we talk to our clients about retirement, one of the um, biggest things that we look at is inflation. Yeah. For our clients over time. And so inflation is something to really keep your eyes on. And of course, as we're looking at bonds and we're looking at inflation, one of the things, the purposes of the bonds bonds in our portfolios is we like to create five to seven years worth of income streams. So we know that regardless of what happens in the market, if the market is down and we don't have any profitability to take from, we know that we've got X amount of money coming due every single year to supplement Social Security or what other income a client has coming in. And so we have to keep our eye on on inflation for right. for individuals so that we can make sure that we have the amount of money to pay for goods and services that they have every single year as they age. And we do see the cost of health care and other things going up. So Understanding your bonds and understanding the income that you have coming in or where you're going to spend from is a really important piece for people's portfolios because I think a lot of people create a, they say, well, we've got some bonds, we've got some stocks, and then all of a sudden a year comes up where the market is really down and they have to come up with X amount of dollars to live and they don't know they where don't to take it, it from. Yep. And so that's the strategy that you really work very carefully with us on that we can predict to the best of our ability how much money a client is going to have available for them regardless if the market is up or down. If the market is up and we're taking profits, we just continue to roll those bonds. So let's take a break and let's come back and talk about how you um, put those portfolios together Talk a little bit about bonds, the importance of bonds in a portfolio. And uh, with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you are enjoying this show, if you think that it's something that um, others might really be interested in, you can always go to ellenbecker.com and just hit on on radio shows and you will see two of them one is money sense this is money sense and then the other radio show that is on sundays from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock is milwaukee philanthropic community where we interview um, different charities in fact if you have a charity that you would like to be on that radio show please just give a call to ellen becker investment group and we will have you interview with jill and hopefully uh, get your get your charity 
on the radio. The whole purpose behind that is just to bring awareness to the community of all the wonderful things that are going on in Milwaukee. And talking about wonderful things going on in Milwaukee, my guest today is <laughs> Terry Pavlak. Wow, thank you. <laughs> and uh, that is really one of the wonderful things is that Terry is in Milwaukee, and I get to sit down with Terry. All of our advisors sit down with Terry. It's an unusual thing where your financial advisors actually get to meet and talk to the people who manage money for their clients, um, our bonds and stocks. And that's been a really important um, piece for me. Another important piece is that Terry's name is on his door as well as mine is Mm -hmm. on my door. And we take great pride in the things that we do. And Terry and I have worked for so many years and he has helped us to um, create bond portfolios that we believe that, to the best of our knowledge, are going to serve our clients really in the way that they're intended to do. So, Terry, talk a little bit about bonds and what happens. As I mentioned before we took the break, that our goal for our clients is to have a, in a sense, as best as possible, guaranteed income. So, when the market does correct and it goes down like it did, our clients don't have to say, oh, I can't spend any money. I can't, you know, I can't do the things that I want to do. We want right. our clients every year, regardless of the market, to be able to continue the lifestyle that they have. Now, there's things that happen that prevent that huge health care, things that happen um, where parents step in and take care of kids and do other things. But for the most part, we want to be able to have that continuity of income and the safety. Yeah, right. And I feel that way too with my own um, clients in, in my firm. The bond part of the portfolio is supposed to be the safe part of the portfolio. I always say that. And uh, and people um, sometimes ask, well, what, what about if we buy these you know, non-investment grade rated bonds, junk bonds? Uh, we I can love get, the yield. We can get a higher <laughs> yield, Exactly. Well, I always think that if you're going to take on that kind of risk, you ought to take it on in an investment class where you're going to get paid for it, which would be stocks, mm-hmm. where the upside is unlimited, not with bonds where you might earn one extra percent or one and a half extra percent a year. That's not a very good reward for taking on that um, significantly increased risk. So well, the bonds have to be safe. And the way I t- uh, try to make sure that the bonds that I put in our portfolios are safe is I only buy bonds that have investment-grade credit ratings. An investment-grade credit rating is AAA, AA, single-A, or triple-B. Everything lower than that is junk, and we don't, um, we don't invest in junk, not in this part of the portfolio. Right. I mean, there's no, as I said, there's no reward for it. So first of all, the bonds are safe. Um, then the second thing I want to do is to make sure that uh, there's a, a, a liquidity event occurring about every year. And by that I mean I want to have a bond coming due every year. So we have uh, eight or nine-year ladders right now, and a ladder just means that we have bonds coming due in each of the next eight or nine years. So every year we get a chance to have some one of the bonds pays off. It matures, and Um, That brings cash into the portfolio. And then if the client has a need for some cash, they have an opportunity to uh, do that, to take some of the cash out if there would be some need. But otherwise, we're going to reinvest it. And uh, it's nice to have a chance every year to take a look at the bond market, kind of survey the landscape, and make a decision on where it would be the best place to put the money. It's not always just, you know, buy the next maturity out there, the one that's 
um, you know, maybe at nine years or something, you have to look around. And like right now in the bond market is an interesting situation to kind of underscore that point. Right now, the yield on a two-year bond is higher than the yield on a four-year bond. So what's the motivation for buying uh, necessarily a, a four-year bond when you can get a higher yield on a shorter-term one, which in theory is less risky? So my point isn't to say that that's always what we do, but just that you have to pay attention to what's going on in the bond market when you have those opportunities to invest some of the cash that's come from a maturing bond. So that's kind of the second thing. You had mentioned before the break about inflation. And that is a risk to bond investing. You know, you buy a bond that yields 2% and matures in 10 years, and then the average interest rate over the, or the average inflation rate over the next 10 years is 3 or 4%. And what have you done? You know, you're, we're earning 2 when inflation was even higher. One of the ways we try to protect against that, and we don't do this with every bond in the portfolio, but we have a significant percentage of our bonds um, pay an, an interest rate that is say, inflation plus 2%. The, inflation, the interest rate goes up and down with the inflation rate so that you're always beating inflation. That takes a ton of risk out of bond investing and provides a really nice cushion for the, um, for the client because they're always going to make more than the inflation rate. So those are some of the things we do in just trying to make sure it's a high-quality portfolio. We have something coming due every year looking at some of these different types of bonds that pay variable rates rather than fixed rates to stay ahead of inflation. And if the if you don't um, have to sell your bonds, if you have allocated properly and you can hold your bonds until they mature, then you've really eliminated all of the volatility of prices too. Because who, I mean, it sounds silly to say who cares when you're talking about <laughs> someone else's money, right? Yes. But if the prices go up and down, and you know you're just going to hold those until they mature, we know that um, at maturity date what the bond will be worth, and we don't really care what happens between now and then. I mean, It's almost like people a, looking at their houses. You don't look at your house right, every day. Right. That's a great – I've used that <laughs> example. Maybe you gave this to me in a previous <laughs> show. But I've used that example a lot. I mean, figure out what your house is worth on a day-by-day basis. <laughs> or, you know, the neighbor's house sold for X, so mine must be worth, you know, X plus yes. something. And um, that's a crazy way to think about your home and the value of your home. Uh, But over time, it will appreciate. Yes. You know, Terry, many years ago when we, when I started, um, and I started my company almost 23 years ago, when I did that, we were almost exclusively invested in using a variety of different mutual funds. And, And one of the reasons was that, I didn't feel that I really had on my own the expertise to be evaluating all the stocks out there and all the bonds. And so it was a, it was an easier process to try and get higher quality investments that I could understand the, the complexity of the fund, but maybe not each individual stock. Okay. And then... 10 years ago or so, 12 years ago, made the decision that we would not own all mutual funds. Um, I think part of that was, you know, what happened with Strong and 
you know, some various other things that were happening, really understanding better what do my clients own and how can I provide more stability and more understanding of the expectation of how will this portfolio perform in an up market? How will this portfolio perform in a down market? And uh, one of the other things then again was as we started to look at bonds, we had all bond mutual funds and then made the decision that I don't want my clients to have all bonds in mutual funds. I wanted them to actually own those bonds. Right. Kind of the bird in the hand was, was their big benefits, was, right. was their um, assurance of a more predictability of what would happen. Can you explain for the listeners just the difference between having um, the bonds in a mutual fund? So if they have high quality corporate or high quality bonds, guaranteed bonds, in there, the difference between actually owning the bond themselves and having it in the mutual fund. And so I yep. think we'll take a quick break. Okay. And then let's start out with just defining what that difference is. Because a lot of people will say to me, well, I've got a high-quality bond fund. And I'll say, but it's different than owning your own bonds. And with right. that, we'll be right back. founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you are sitting and thinking about this and wondering, what kind of bonds do I own? And are my bonds actually working? Are they an advantage for me or a disadvantage? Please give us a call at 262-691-3200. And we would be, um, we would be delighted to sit down and review your portfolio and help you understand what you own. And it may be just absolutely perfect, or there may be some tweaking that you can do. My guest today is Terry Pavlik, and he is the president of Pavlik Investments, which is located right in Delafield, Wisconsin. And as I've said, he is our manager for the bonds that we have for our clients, our individual bonds. And before the break, Terry, we talked about, you know, define um, sort of defining for our listeners the difference between owning bonds in a mutual fund and owning bonds in an individual portfolio. Right. So there's significant differences. And in some asset classes, maybe like stocks, you know, the difference between owning a few individual stocks and owning a mutual fund, maybe um, the the, uh, benefits aren't so noteworthy, so noticeable. When it comes to bonds, though, I think their differences are very significant. Um, when you own a bond mutual fund, first of all, there's a mutual fund manager and he's between or she is between you and your investments. So they're making decisions about what goes in the portfolio. And uh, the bond mutual fund manager is gets a bonus tied to whether his fund outperforms some index, right? He doesn't really care about probably you or how, how much risk is being averted or he's trying to maximize the total return of the fund. And what's really interesting about that is that that usually means very high turnover. Uh, the biggest bond fund um, in the country for a decade was the PIMCO Total Return Fund. And what's stunning is to go in, onto their own website and look at the turnover rate. It's four, it was 400%, I think, when I last looked. <laughs> now, 400% turnover means that they are buying and selling every bond in the portfolio every 90 days. Does that sound like low risk? 
I mean, I go back to the original goal of being in bonds, which is to be in a low-risk, predictability, predictable (laughs) investment with um, income, with you know, sort of guaranteed income or uh, highly reliable income. But 400% turnover, holy cow! (laughs) I wouldn't have that in a stock portfolio, much less a bond portfolio. So the goals are very different. When you own individual bonds, we know on the day we buy the bond what day it's coming due. Uh, which means that's when we're getting our money back. We know what price we're getting when it comes due. And we probably know with a pretty high degree of certainty what the interest rate payments will be between now and then and what days we're going to receive them. In other words, you know all of the cash flows that you need to know about this investment. You don't know that with stocks, right, because you don't know what it's going to be worth when you sell it. You hope that the dividend is sustained, but maybe it wouldn't be. There's a lot of unknowns. You also don't know that with bond mutual funds because you have no idea what bonds are going to be in the portfolio even 90 days from now. In the case of this one with the 400% turnover, it's a completely different set of bonds. So how can you possibly predict the income? But what if you say it's AAA rated and it's guaranteed? Is it guaranteed in a mutual fund? Never. But they're, they're not um, – mutual funds but are not guaranteed. But it says guaranteed. guaranteed. Yeah, well, it shouldn't. The <laughs> SEC ought to get around to those people. <laughs> uh, guaranteed is a is a word that you shouldn't use too much in investments, I don't think. Uh, um, so the bond mutual funds, um, they have some volatility to them. Uh, they're very susceptible because of this turnover. When interest rates are going up, bond um, prices are going down, and that's reflected in the bond mutual fund. Uh, with our portfolios of individual bonds, if you did nothing – they would all mature over time, and you would have a big pot of money at the end of it, and we, would, we could probably tell you within uh, a few percentage points what that amount would be. Tell me what that number would be with a bond mutual fund. There's no way to know because that never, they, they never hold on to the bonds long enough for them to mature. They're always sold beforehand in the marketplace. Well, and nobody really owns the bonds. They're owned by the mutual fund right. company, the, by the fund that by they're the fund. in. So they're not really owned by individuals. Now, so I like to, as I said, I like to have one bond coming due or maybe a couple bonds, but a a certain amount of money coming due every year in each portfolio. Well, each portfolio is individualized. They are. Opposed to you being in a pool. Well, as I said, and where the manager there really has no idea what your individual objectives are. I mean, we have clients who might say, look, I don't want to, um, I have, I'm 90 years old. Why would we buy a 10-year bond for a client who's 90 years old? Probably we'd shorten up the maturity. But we have the ability to, to do those kinds of things because we do know our customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, something that you repeat every show. You know, you have to know your customer, and your customer has to kind of know you. But we can customize things quite a bit and tailor the investments to that particular person. Bond mutual, I mean, mutual funds in general aren't tailored right? Uh, because they're not, that's just not what they're set up to be. They do achieve a certain amount of diversification. I'm, I don't mean to be slamming mutual funds as if there's not ever mm-hmm. any reason to use them. There are reasons to use them. And we do them. use them for liquidity. Sure. Yeah, that's we a have, great reason. We have very high quality um, bond funds that we probably have a third of our clients or maybe a quarter of whatever we have in the in the bond area so that if we need cash quickly, we don't have to sell a bond. Yep. But we make sure that we have the type of quality that that we want. The thing that I think with bond funds, Terry, that also can can be confusing for individuals is that 
they open up the prospectus if they have one or they read in Morningstar, this is what the fund does. But that doesn't necessarily, you can't always interpret what it says into what's actually in going on in there going on in the mutual fund i agree fund. with that yeah the objectives are very broad yes and they make it sound like it's very safe you know like they're it's very low volatility or low risk or whatever but when you when you look in the morning if, since you mentioned morning star um two things there first read the objective then read the turnover in the bond fund and you'll see like in this case the biggest bond fund in america 400 percent turnover that's crazy and then there's another section in those reports where they give you the breakdown of the bond portfolio by credit rating. Mm-hmm. And you can see what percentage of the bond of the bond um, mutual fund is invested in high quality or quality or yes. not. And almost always there's some junk in there, yes. sometimes a significant percentage or foreign or things like that. Now, you know, that. I'm sure there are guys who can invest in foreign bonds and do it well, but that introduces so many additional risks and uncertainties. What is the creditworthiness of the company that's domiciled in China or someplace? Well, and you know, you know, you just don't know those things. And again, I keep coming back to this is supposed to be the low risk, safe part of the portfolio. And you, they, the some of the bond mutual funds take on these sort of very high risk strategies. And we've, we've really tried to work with that with our clients. So we have um, 90 days of free trading. So when a client comes on board with us, we can put that whole bond portfolio together with zero trading costs. And then because we absorb the costs of the bond portfolio, there is no internal expenses on right. our bond portfolios for our clients. And that has been a really big piece for us. And I think it's also important for people to look at what the internal expenses are and what they're paying for in that portfolio. Yes, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't even gotten to that. That's yeah. a very good point. Um, not all bond funds are managed uh, inexpensively. Right. They're not all bargain basement uh, fees. And, you know, Terry, it gets back to when we opened up the show talking about all the, you know, the media out there badgering people about um, the market and what's happening as if it's happening to everybody. And it does, the market does affect some people who have, peculiar things and different things in their portfolio, but they're talking about a small segment of the market as if it's the whole market. And I think, I know for our clients that they know that they've got a certain part of their money in bonds. They know that they're going to come due next year, regardless of what's happening. They know what's happening with their stocks and their dividends. The whole show has always been about education and helping people to understand, to know what they own. Right. Yes. And I I love the idea that you have the portfolio divided into, I like to think of it in terms of time horizons. You know, you mentioned earlier, you keep some money in some um, mutual funds for liquidity. Mm-hmm. Well, that's to meet the near term, um, right. you know, withdrawal needs or the shorter term time horizon. I would say the bonds fit sort of out beyond that just a little bit, but a little bit longer time horizon and stocks are for the long term. And if you think about your investments in that way, then when you have a 90 day decline in the stock market, like we had, in mm-hmm. the last quarter of 18, the worst quarter since 1931, <laughs> they, um, you don't necessarily have to do something. I and mean, just because the stock market is down doesn't mean you have to do anything. So I know that this is going to sound crazy, but when I am meeting with my clients and we talk about these down markets, you know, how do you feel? And they kind of look at me and it's like, 
well, if you tell me that you really like this market, I know that I've done a good job. If you're scared, I'm, I'm thinking, what do I need to do differently? Because our portfolios are driven by dividends as well. Mm-hmm. And when the market's down, and I will show them that little chart, oh, we're down here. Would you rather me buy and invest your dividends here or, up there. or when we were up here? Right. Well, down here. And because, I mean, it, and then, they, oh, yeah. I was like, this is an advantage for us. Buy low. Because we already have your income <laughs> yeah. s- segregated. This right. is this is when it's working for you. Right. And I think that if people could start to look at the media and say, wow, are we in a great opportunity? Number one, do I have some more money to invest? Exactly. Can I invest it in a, in a good place? Exactly. And what is the advantage of this portfolio? But they can't do it if they don't think that their life is certain. Well, if they, right. If things aren't allocated properly and they're depending on the stock market rally to get for the next you know paycheck or whatever, yes. the next distribution – then they're not allocated right, and it's all topsy-turvy. It doesn't work out. But the decline, you, I always say to my clients when it comes to stocks, I will tell you to put more money in stocks when it's going to you know, be the most gut-wrenching thing, when the media wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't think of it, you know, yes. just like at the end of the year. I tell my clients, especially the ones that are not spending yet, the more times the market goes down between now and when you need to spend this money, the wealthier you are, you have $1,000, you know, a quarter, $5,000 a quarter being reinvested into your portfolio. Right. The more times it goes down and we hit that. You can buy low. Buy low. That's just what we're supposed to do. The better we are. Yeah. <laughs> My guest today is Terry Pavlik. He is the president of Pavlik Investments right in uh, Delafield, Wisconsin. Please feel free to go to ellenbecker.com, and this will be on on the website probably within a week or so, and you could listen to it again if you like. And, Terry, thank you so much. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, always listen.